You are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring interviews with key people on the ground in Ukraine and experts in medicine, arts, and foreign policy from around the world. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting for the Pacifica Radio Network from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. An army marches on its stomach, and here is a man doing the cooking. Our guest, Richard Woodruff, is the 29-year-old creator of Frontline Kitchen. Originally from Crowborough, Sussex, 30 miles south of London, quitting his job a year ago to take a vacation in Spain, war broke out in Ukraine, and he was riveted to the news. With no plan, Richard got on a plane to Poland and a bus to Lviv. Hear now his remarkable story. Richard Woodruff, you are the creator of Frontline Kitchen. Welcome to Ukraine 242. Tell us what you were doing one year ago today. Laying on a beach in Spain, relaxing, uh, taking a, a break from working. After seven of years in publishing, um, I decided I, I needed a little bit of time off for myself. So, What were you doing? in publishing we were publishing industrial magazines it was in tunbridge uh, kent just below london seven years in the same publishing house with various different titles so you quit yeah on a vacation to spain yes staying on a beach in spain wow. in andalusia and then what the war broke out on the 24th and then i spent 10 days non-stop watching the news on youtube 24 7 by my bedside so I, I saw every step that the russians took in the initial invasion just seeing all of these atrocities unfold in real time but every single day saw the ukrainian flags and protesting on the street saying they need support they need air defense were out. you aware before the big invasion that there had been an ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine since 2014? I wasn't following along the war prior to the 24th. I was actually planning a trip to Ukraine the year prior, and I'd been looking up all of the different cities and all the beautiful things that I would have to visit and see. So just from the governmental advice that I'd been given in terms of do not travel to Ukraine because of the ongoing war. You had an interest in Ukraine. Yes. What in particular no, attracted no, nothing you? Nothing at all. I was just planning to travel around this kind of side of Europe and just looking at the most beautiful places to visit. And obviously in Ukraine, there are lots and lots and lots of beautiful cities and the nature is kind of unmatched in most other countries. And it's a completely different culture. So yeah, it was on my list because it was a different place. I'd never visited a country that wasn't effectively a, a European capital. After the 24th of February, 242, what happened next? I contacted my landlord in Spain and said, hey, like, I'm leaving to go to Ukraine, of which he obviously thought I was crazy. And I spent the next two, three weeks researching on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere on the internet if there is actually something I could do. 
and there's no official guidance or advice or any volunteering opportunities because obviously they were in the middle of a war. Everyone on the ground is just working their butts off to obviously survive. So until now, there hasn't really been a resource to help people find out where to volunteer in Ukraine. Where did you go and how did you get there? I went from Spain to England just to say goodbye to my family before heading out to Ukraine. And when I was leaving, my mum said, oh, you're not going to Ukraine, are you? And I said, no, no, it's fine. I'll just go to Krakow. So I flew to Krakow from London. Then the next day, traveled by bus from Krakow into Lviv. And that was on the 20th of June last year. Oh, wow. The only foreign person on the bus. Uh, Everyone else was Ukrainian. How long was that trip? Seven, eight hours, I think. You got off the bus in Lviv and then what? The bus station, train station are right next door to each other. And asked a lady in front of the train station where I can volunteer and how I can help. And she just said, there's a rebuilding company in Kiev. And then there's kitchen in Lviv, which is where I've been since then. Was this woman there to guide people who were showing up to volunteer? She was just an information person. When people would turn up, like Ukrainians from different parts of the country, she would be there to say, oh, you need this service, you need advice or this help, you need to go to this location. So I think it was very much for people that were coming from the East that needed to find uh, the local governmental services or help because these people just turn up on a train with nothing. They just have their suitcase with them and nothing else and then they're on their own to try and find some kind of support. Um, And that's what this lady was there for, not for volunteers, because back then I don't think there were many people crazy enough to be heading into the heart of Ukraine just when Russia was upping its nuclear threat. So, yeah, turned up with no idea and no plan, effectively, just a a willingness to help. So I asked that lady where to volunteer, and then she said, this place, and I said, okay, and then booked it from there. You showed up to this place. (laughs) Where did you find yourself? I turned up at the volunteer kitchen. Luda, the founder, was standing outside and I said, can I volunteer? And she doesn't speak English, but understood the word volunteer and kind of pointed me towards a box full of carrots and said, cut. That was how I started the journey, was just cutting up carrots for the first week or so. And after about a week, they realized I wasn't leaving or going anywhere. So they kind of took me in as their own. A lady called Julia that turned up and she speaks good English. So she was my resident translator for the months following. Still to this day, I can't really converse with the grandmothers, but we just smile at each other and try and use the words that we do have now to communicate with each other. You were part of a volunteer group cooking food to send to the soldiers at the front? Yes, that's correct. Luda and Oksana founded the uh, kitchen and it's kind of dehydrated food that we're sending out to the front. So they just add hot water, um, cook for about 10, 20 minutes, and then it's ready. And yeah, we only send food directly to the front lines. But yeah, they've been doing that for nine years and they're, they're working 24-7. What are the logistics of getting the food you prepare to the front line? All of the generals and higher of every single brigade that we supply on the front lines send a request through of exactly what they need on their phone. We package that up and every 30 minutes to an hour, another car is coming, whether it be army or whether it be a volunteer that drives to the front line back and forwards each day. They would come to us once they've loaded up with medical supplies, uh, clothing, every other thing that's needed at the front. And then we would be the last stop when they they would take like three or four large bags of food from us and then drive that on to the front from there. How many soldiers do you reckon you feed in a day or in a week? About 10,000 meals each day. Borscht, that's a lobsy, different soups, 
energy bars. So at least 10,000 meals uh, a day that we're sending out to the front lines. I want to say for our listeners that Holopsia's cabbage rolls. That is correct. How do you dehydrate a cabbage roll? Well, we send everything that's inside of the cabbage roll and then they just cook it. So everything's just cut up, dried out, and then weighed very precisely to a recipe that the ladies have been working on for the past eight years. So it's like having a cabbage roll without the roll part on the outside of it. That's incredible. And it's actually a home recipe that deconstructed Holopsi from Luda. So it doesn't exist outside of her home. It's her version. Back when they first founded the kitchen, lots of different ingredients were turning up each day. And one day, a load of rice turned up. She didn't have a recipe at the time that had rice within it. So she thought, oh, well, I make for the kids at home Holopsi, but deconstructed. So yeah, that's where that recipe actually came from. And that's an exclusive just for you because no one actually knows that story apart from them. <laughs> wow. So they're really getting real home cooking. Exactly. Borscht made by Ukrainians to a Ukrainian recipe. And that's the biggest feedback that we get is it's such a morale boost. Them actually having this home-cooked meals, them knowing who's doing it as well. It's not some big organization. It's a bunch of grandmas off in Lviv spending every single second of every single day working to make sure that they have a nice, warm, home-cooked meal. Most of the people in the kitchen have family members that are on the front lines or are from areas that are still occupied to this day or that have just been liberated. So they are fighting for their family. Every man in Ukraine from those areas goes off to fight. So there's no arguments or people saying, oh, I don't want to go fight for our lives and country because everyone's involved. Everyone wants to go in Ukraine. I wouldn't say they enjoy it, but they're not afraid of it. They want to do everything possible for their country. They're very brave of them. You must be delivering literal morale boost to the front line, I would think. Yes, 100%. That is the, the biggest feedback. It is just complete morale. They said with the Borscht specifically, one of the guys that was delivering straight to the front came and he just said, just so you know, the, the morale boost when we have these packages is next to none. There's nothing else that's giving them that feeling of home and, and support like us being there. And that obviously motivates us like crazy. <laughs> that is truly, I, I've never heard anything like this. How did this come to be Frontline Kitchen? Before I turned up, every bit of information that was going out there was in Ukrainian and it was on Facebook to a group that I think back then they had maybe 4,000 subscribers and it was just local people that would be supplying us with the fruit and vegetables and raw ingredients. Everything's donated. Yeah, so back then it was just reaching out to local Ukrainian people in the Ukrainian language and there was no English language. It actually all came about, I, I met a YouTuber just by chance, someone that I've been watching for many years in Lviv, because he was supporting the army as well and helping out uh, with donations to local organizations. And he said to me, Richard, you should start up a Twitter for it, because no one knows about the kitchen, no one knows it exists at all, because there hadn't been effectively an advertising campaign. So I reluctantly said, I'll, I'll start up a Twitter page. And uh, immediately after we started it, it got taken down within 10 hours because within those first 10 hours, it was growing at a, a rate, I think it was about 100, 200 followers an hour. So Twitter flagged it up as some kind of spam account. So I waited a week, then I had to create a new account, which instantly, once again, got a, a thousand followers. <laughs> and then they released the, the old account. So <laughs> I, I was tossing up, which one do I delete? Which one do I keep? And then eventually uh, I stuck with the one that we have now, which is Frontline 
kit. And uh, yeah, it just grew rapidly from there. So within, what month are we in now? We're in February now. So within three, four months or so, it's now at 14,000 subscribers. And every single one of those people is either contributing or they're helping with logistics or they're medical people or they're fighting Russian disinformation. Every single one of those people is so incredibly motivated and so incredibly positive as well. I post now and again when I get a Russian troll or some troll on my account, I say, hey guys, I, I finally got one because it's been <laughs> the most loving and amazing support network ever. And as you know, the internet's a horrible place. So you, you would expect there to be a lot of people spreading hate and saying, oh, like X, Y, or Z about you. But no, I just had one hateful DM and that was on the day that we hit 10,000 subscribers. And I, I laughed about the fact that it was just as I went over that mark, I got the first email saying, yeah, so some, some rubbish. And I posted it on Twitter and created something called the Michael Taylor Nonsense Fund. Uh, <laughs> and loads of people started sending donations, being like, here's for the Michael Taylor Nonsense Fund. <laughs> and still, to this day, I, I don't even know if the guy's seen it. I, uh, after this interview, I'll, I'll look up to see if he's tweeted since then. But yeah, it was just hilarious. His negative comments actually turned into a positive for Ukraine. That is so funny. Um, yeah, it made me laugh. And I, I was I sat there crying with laughter about these people that were actually sending it just to mock this guy for his harsh comments about the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's the, the growth story of Twitter. And now I've realized the importance of the follower number because the more people that are following the account, the more people that know someone that knows someone that's able to get a hold of medical supplies or know someone that's just around the corner from my guys in Bakhmut that can drop a delivery within an hour. So just having that extra reach means that we have the correct contact eventually end up saving the lives of our guys. Yeah, so it's, it's just unbelievably important that that keeps growing and obviously we keep managing to get the message out to everyone of what we're doing in ukraine yeah everyone that i've seen so far is unbelievably supportive i am ann levine from womr in provincetown massachusetts reporting for the pacifica radio network our guest is richard woodruff of frontline kitchen in lviv where he and a team of babushkas cook food for soldiers at the front. Thank you for joining us. Richard Woodruff, tell me about Frontline Kitchen, supplying other things. So that just kicked off in November time. We had one of our dryers break down and posted it on Twitter because the engineer was like, there's no part that that we can actually fix this with. So I posted it on Twitter and within within a few hours or so, we had a few donors reaching out saying, hey, can we contribute to buy you a new dryer because that dropped productivity by like 25% in the dryer setup that we had in the kitchen. And obviously people weren't happy with that and didn't want that. And so they said, no, we're going to get you a new one. and We're going to get you a new one now. And when I told the founders about this, they were gobsmacked because they've never had this level of generosity from anyone for nine years. And uh, then instantly, obviously, a light bulb moment went off in their head where they said, oh, we've been getting these requests from Bakhmut past few months saying they need various medical supplies, drones, etc. But they've not had a single bit of resource to be able to help them at all, um, which is obviously a horrible feeling, like knowing exactly what they need and just having no way to support them. So, yeah, they said, hey, Rich, 
we have the need for a DJI mattress drone with these kind of thermal capabilities that can see really long distances because otherwise we can't correct our artillery fire or see where these Russian troops are coming from. So I put this post up on Twitter and once again, the generosity of people is outstanding and and we managed to raise the funds in four or five days or so. And that was was $12,000. I didn't sleep for four days nonstop because I knew that if I was sleeping, our guys on the front would be dying because they don't have these eyes in the sky that are going to protect them, you know? And I kind of came to this equation in my head that for every hour or so that this bird wasn't in the sky, then, uh, yeah, we would be losing a handful of men. What a horrendous equation to have to make. What does an hour of sleep equal in human life? If it means that someone dies because I'm asleep, it's not going to give me a good feeling Therefore, I I mean, I can sleep after the war. So, uh, yeah, just spent that amount of days fundraising. We funded it. And and that was the initial beginning of the fundraising journey of which we're still doing now. 48 to 72 hours ago, I put up a post about some desperate medical supplies that we need in Bakhmut, uh, blood clotting, medicine, so that when people get shot, it will actually heal up a lot quicker. Bandages and pain medication and syringes, and that money was raised almost immediately. And God, I'm so, so thankful because this is hundreds of our guys that are going to be alive now because of people on the internet, you know? Even donating $5, you are saving someone's life and it's stealing. But I think the reason it probably works so well through the Kitchen's Twitter account is I post within 24 hours exactly what we bought and then the video of it going off to the front lines and then them also receiving it on the front lines. So people see they can make an immediate difference to people's lives. Whereas the big global conglomerates, the Red Crosses, you'd donate $5 and it would never get there. It would go on some admin marketing fee or paying someone's bar tab when they're doing work here in Ukraine. And you would have to wait a year to see if it's actually made some kind of difference where ours is within the same hour we can go to the shop because we're on the ground and buy it. So, yeah, people on Twitter are just incredible because of individual people that are spending their money to save the lives of Ukrainians and therefore the rest of Europe if we weren't holding the line. How can our listeners find you on Twitter? Just search for Frontline Kitchen, but there are four fraudulent accounts on there right now. Just after this call, I'm going to put up a post so that people know. And I'm unfortunately going to subscribe to Twitter Blue so that they can see which one is ours out of these fraudulent accounts. Really, Twitter should be banning these accounts when they copy the almost the exact name and my profile picture. It's almost impossible to report and take these people down. Mm. That's a problem for later. So as I said, I'm going to go purchase a blue check mark in a moment so that your listeners can find us a little bit easier. But we've got 14 plus thousand followers, so you'll be able to see who we are immediately. Um, and you'll see all of the videos. But if you ever see someone commenting saying, oh, donate to this PayPal account, don't do it. We don't post anything like that, only in our bio. So you can see our official PayPal address. So yeah, just search Frontline Kitchen on Twitter or at Frontline Kit, and then we'll come up. And if any of your listeners actually want to come volunteer with us, it's uh, volunteeringukraine.com. It has volunteering opportunities with us, but also the projects that I went to see around Kyiv can find us and also other opportunities in Ukraine as to where to volunteer. And that's volunteeringukraine.com. 
in the upcoming next few weeks and months, the world is expecting things to get a lot worse and for there to be an increase in the attacks coming from Russia. What are you, Richard Woodruff, and Frontline Kitchen doing to get ready? Just ramping up food production. Fortunately, because of the generous donations, it meant we've managed to secure another dryer. So that's going to increase production, I think, about 30%. So we're going to have more meals going out there. And we're just trying to get as much medical equipment to the front because when they're contacting us about it, it really means that they can't get it from anywhere else and they need it now. And that's that's really what we're going to have to focus on. The guys in Bakhmut just sent me an image today with one of the drones they received from us, but then immediately said, we need another drone. We had one of our Mavics shot down. Um, So they need another Mavic 3 right now. And once again, I'm going to do a post in a moment, fundraising for that. Yeah, we need as many drones in that area as possible. And that will help when it comes to the the live offensive and all of the enemy artillery and tanks coming our way and and the, the waves and waves of the Russian soldiers coming towards us. We need to know where they are coming from so that we can accurately plan out a battle strategy in real time so yeah really we just need drones drones and more drones and obviously tanks but they're coming a little bit too slowly obviously they've been asking for them for nearly a year now and uh, we're just getting around to sending the first few through so yeah that's all we can really do on the topic of the attack starting Today, over Kyiv, the guy that was coming to pick up the food from us earlier said that just today there's already been scouting drones and Russian surveillance going over the top of Kyiv to try and spot all the targets. So we're thinking within this next week they're going to do a push. Yeah, but that's knowledge from firsthand on the ground of what people are seeing right now in Kyiv. And there are a few missile alerts today over there, but I haven't even had the time to check to see where it's being struck today and if they're trying to soften us up before an invasion. But It's just a waiting game now to see what happens. What about things in Lviv? Are you concerned about any attacks there? Uh, No, we should be fine. We had a missile strike very recently, within the last week or so. But I think we managed to shoot it down because I remember my friend message saying, oh, the missiles just hit and I opened the window and then I heard the second one hit immediately after that. But it's actually just got better here in Lviv because for the past two days I've had power nonstop, which is weird after the past two or three weeks of having power half the time and trying to plan your day around. We can have a cup of tea and uh, we can have a shower because uh, otherwise it's ice cold shower. So it seems like the electricity network around here is only just stabilized within this past 24, 48 hours. So it means we get a bit of humanity back. These electrical engineers rebuilding these power grids so quickly after missile strikes. Yeah, they need statues built in their honor after. You know, within 12 hours or so, getting the power back on. It's like, you can imagine that in England. That would take that would take a year, a year to just fix the slightest problem, but they do it in 12 hours. What do you plan personally to do? How do you see your future now? Uh, I never thought I'd be working for free for 24-7 <laughs> day uh, for eight months straight, going insane whilst doing it. It's probably going to lead to some life that revolves around volunteering and volunteering projects around the world, I'd assume. I, I, I think that I've kind of got the bug for it now, and this is what my life's going to be dedicated to. In the immediate future, the uh, second the war ends, I'm going to go lay on a beach in Spain or South America somewhere for at least two or three weeks, and then starts the big project of rebuilding Ukraine. So 
So then I'll be immediately back because obviously now that there is this this following of people that genuinely really care about Ukraine, they will most likely also care about the rebuilding, uh, which I did actually recently put up a poll saying, just do people want to see me going to read these rebuilding projects? And you know, 95% or so said, yes, please, we want to help out of that too. So uh, yeah, the journey will continue into rebuilding Ukraine, at least spend a few months here until that's all set up. And uh the awareness about all of the different projects that are going on alive. And then once Ukraine is sorted and they've got themselves on their feet, then I'll head off to the next natural disaster or war zone, most likely. Well, that's a beautiful thing that's come out of this war, that it's activated people like you who've got this incredible drive to pitch in and do the right thing. And very, very difficult thing. And I know you've got medicine to get to Bakhmut. Tak. So I will let you go. But one last question. We play a piece of music with each interview. What would you like us to use for this interview? Oh, I know it immediately. It's Vishni Vishni, a Ukrainian song all about cherries by Wellboy, W-E-L-L-B-O-Y. And that song actually reminds me of summer with all of the babooses where we were uh, sat with these huge buckets in front of us of tens of thousands of cherries that they're all peeling by hand. And we were all dancing and singing, singing along to this song while peeling cherries. So wonderful story and wonderful emotions behind it. Well, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed speaking to you. This has been a really great, uplifting interview. And thank you for everything you do. I don't know of anyone else that's covering it on such a, a frequent basis. You know, most of the world media is forgetting about Ukraine, but you're, you know, spending every day doing your bit to raise awareness of uh, what's actually happening here. So I really appreciate you. Thanks so much. And I will look forward to seeing more of your videos and tweets about what's going on. Thank you so, so much. Thanks, Richard. Stay safe. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Вишні, вишні, ну я так вийшло, наші з тобою вишні розцвіли на тому тижні. Вишні, вишні, ви дивовижні, ми з тобою дуже скужі, але не зовішні. Our thanks to Richard Woodruff and the grandmothers of Frontline Kitchen in Lviv. For more information on the kitchen, go to at Frontline Kit on Twitter. That's at F R O N T L I N E K I T on Twitter. by Wellboy. I am Anne Levine, the host and producer of Ukraine 242, reporting for the Pacifica Radio Network from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. 
Editing by Ursula Rudenberg for the Pacifica Radio Network. Recording by Michael Levine. For more information and to see pictures of our guests, go to ukraine242.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next week on Ukraine 242. Субтитры